Let's pray. Father, it's good to be still and to know that you are God. You are the creator. You are the only one, the only way to heaven. As we worship you this morning, Father, open our hearts and our eyes. Make us grateful for what you have done for us and what you have supplied. Thank you for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah, we're drawing close to the end of the book. We're getting there. Anybody know how many Sundays we've been in Nehemiah? That's all right, I don't either. It's been a while, though. I go back and look at my notes. I, I always put the date on my notes so I could go back and see what the start date was, but that was a while ago. Learned a lot with Nehemiah. He's a man of prayer. He's a man that thought things through. And he was a man of conviction because when he believed it, he stood on it and stayed with it. He stood firm. He didn't waffle. He didn't go back and forth. He didn't decide to go with the mood of the day just because, oh, that's what everybody else was saying and doing and thinking. But he stood firm. He was a leader of the people. And he cared about the people. I don't know if we remember the chapter where the, the, how unusual it was that the women would come to him, but they came with a great outcry, and he listened to them, and he made it right. Because the, the nobles and the wealthy people were charging excessive interest. They were putting people's kids into slavery. And that wasn't the way the law was written. That wasn't the way it was to be done. So Nehemiah called him out. He said, this isn't right what you're doing. Fix it. And he's not done. He's going to have to do some more of that in chapter 13. We're going to finish chapter 12 today and and begin chapter 13. We won't see Nehemiah's hard work today. We'll get into that in the next couple, well, not next week, but the couple weeks after that. Probably by the end of July, we'll be done with Nehemiah. As far as the study of of Nehemiah and the services, hopefully we'll never be done with the principles that he taught and lived by. But in chapter 6, just to kind of give you a quick overview where we are, where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Uh, Chapters 11, verses 1 through 12, 26, talked about giving ourselves... To God. Talked about the different individuals and the jobs that they had to do. And we talked about the, what were they, the unforgettable forgettables? Those that work behind the scenes that don't have their names in the lights or that aren't always up front. 
But they used the gifts that God gave them for God's purpose to accomplish God's will, to get it done. Last week, we talked about giving our praise to God. As you remember, there was two choirs, and one went up on the wall. Remember that wall that Tobias said even a fox could knock over as they were making fun of the Jews? But two choirs marched around the, on top of the wall. And they met at the north side of the city and, and went down the steps into the temple. In chapter 12, verse 43 says, And on that day they offered great... Oh, let me back up, sorry, to verse 40. And this is after the choirs have, have gone around. Remember Psalm 24 was, was the one that they went back and forth. The two choirs responded to each other as they were walking around on the wall. Verse 40, Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So did I and the half of the officials with me and the priests. And a whole bunch of names in verse 43. And on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy <clears throat> excuse me, of Jerusalem was heard from afar. It wasn't the singing, it wasn't the instruments, it wasn't the shouting that was heard, it was the joy that was heard. The joy in their hearts was heard from afar. You wonder what that rumbling was or what that, that was the joy of the Jews coming out of Jerusalem. Because they were being obedient to the Father. They had completed the, the building of the wall. And now they were dedicating that wall to God for his service and for his glory. The work wasn't done. There was more work to be done rebuilding inside the city. Remember one week we talked about how they, they, they did by lots and 10% of them had to move into the city. And part of the unforgettable forgettables was the group that voluntarily came in. They, they weren't part of that lot. They, they weren't part of the draft that forced them into the city. But there were others that came voluntarily. And this is where we're at. The choirs have, have marched around. The choirs took their stand in the house of God. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. I wonder how many of our neighbors can hear us sing on Sunday morning. Part of the symphony of praise. That, that, that sermon from Lou Giglio is coming up here. Probably, probably first part of August. Symphony of praise. How every part of God's creation sings to him. If you're sharp, then I'm flat, and it comes together and worships him. If I'm high and you're low, it's part of the symphony of praise to God. The Jews, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. From afar. They were giving their contribution to the symphony of praise to our great God and our great creator. So we gave ourselves to God. We give our praise to God. And today, verses 44 to 47, we give our gifts to God. I'm going to read 47, 44 to 47. Of Nehemiah chapter 12. On that day, what day? On that day? On the day that they dedicated, they did, excuse me, on the day they dedicated the wall, that day, 
this very same day. They didn't wait, they didn't hesitate. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served, for they performed the worship of their God in the service of purification, together with the singers, the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and on his son Solomon. Excuse me, and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times, that's an interesting phrase there, we'll get to that, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymn of thanksgiving to God. And so all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required. And they set apart the consecrated portion of the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron or the priests. Flip back with me to chapter 10 real quick. I'm just going to point out, I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to point out verses 32 to the end of the chapter. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about tithing. And like a lame brain, I told you the week before I was going to tithe, I was going to preach on tithing, and I think we've had the smallest group we've had since I've been here. <laughs> Except maybe the first Sunday back from COVID, I don't know. It's a pretty small group. But we talked about tithing, and there's four, there's four parts that are addressed in chapter 10. And we see them addressed right here in chapter 12, verse 44. It said, on that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores. That equals the, the temple tax. Remember, we talked the temple tax is basically two days' salary. It was a little less than that here because, remember, as they were building back, the, the economy wasn't real great. The economy wasn't rip-roaring yet. The hotels weren't up and running, and you know the resorts hadn't been rebuilt yet. So the economy wasn't what it needed to be, so they, they, they made allowance for a time that it could be a third of a shekel instead of half a shekel. So for this time, it was just a little bit less than two days' worth of work. And that was the temple tax to be given specifically for the care of the temple, the, the physical care of the temple. New curtains, new new. Uh, Brackets for the rods to hold the curtains. And that's what that temple tax was for. And that we see in verse 44, uh, over the chambers for one, the stores. And the contributions, that's referring to the wood, the wood offering. Those that, that were too poor. But they did it by lot, and each, each time of the year, each month of the year, a different tribe had the responsibility to bring wood into the house of the Lord. Why? Because the brazen altar was to never stop burning. And what did the brazen altar represent? The presence of the Lord. And we know that our God never leaves us, nor forsakes us. He never leaves us alone. And that was the symbolism that the, bra- the fire on the brazen altar was to never go out. And so we have in verse 44 here the contributions. The first fruits. Again, it goes into it a whole lot more in chapter 10. But all of the first fruits were to be given 
to the Lord. The first fruits of the, of the, the crops, the first fruit of the, the cattle and the livestock, the first fruit of the children, the firstborn, were to be given to God in ministry. So that it was the idea of the first fruits. The first and the best of what God gives us is for him. And then, of course, the tithe. The tithe was the, the 10% that they gave to the Levites and the priests. The second 10% they gave was for the ministries, not the care of the, the facility itself, but for the ministries. And then every third year, there was another 10% that was given for the poor and the needy. And these were brought into the, to the house of the Lord, they, they, the temple there. They, they were kept. They had rooms to store these things so that they were there when they were needed and they were provided. And this here says that they were appointed over the chambers for the store's contributions first. They was organized. They needed to be organized. It was for accountability's sake. And we think when we hear that we should give 10%, we squawk. These guys gave 20% every year and 30% every third year. They realized that they were not the owners. We are only stewards of what God has given us. After we give our, for sake of example, we'll throw it out there. We give our 10% to the church. The other 90% is God's too, and he cares about how we spend that. 2 Corinthians 9.7. We've looked at these a couple times. Let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Nobody's sitting over you with a hammer over your head. God wants it to be done from a willing and a cheerful heart. But yet, we have a responsibility. Just because, oh, God's not holding it over my head. No, he's going to hold it over your heart. Because we need to be cheerful givers. In Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, we've looked at these verses back in chapter 10 too. But they're so, so good that I want to read them again. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. I should run over to my desk and grab those quotes from, from uh, Trip. It talks about the song of your heart. The, the, the song of your heart is a soundtrack. It, it drives your life. It drives who you are and what you do. So what is the song of your heart? What's your favorite song when you're just doing nothing? What comes to your mind? Is it a song that honors God? I pray it is. Because that's what's in your heart. Remember we're talking about being so full of Jesus that we ooze out Jesus? The people around us will get smeared with Jesus and recognize and realize Jesus because of us, because of him shining through us? What do you ooze? What do you ooze? It's, it'll tell you a lot about yourself.
the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. When this relationship between us and him is right, then our hearts want to help, want to help our fellow man as we ought. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. You know, I I talk about smile because it increases your face value. Well, guess what? What comes out of your mouth can increase your face value or decrease it. I know I've, I've talked about This might be a little edgy. If it is, I apologize. I talk about um, different people that that I've known in my life and that I've worked with. I think of a couple, especially in the military, that these, a couple of young ladies in particular, that if you just looked at them, you wouldn't think, oh, Miss America material here. But when you got to know them in their hearts and in the way they wanted to to, um, carry out their job and just the way they lived... They were some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen because of what was in their heart. wasn't wasn't this, but but but, but the lips, what came out of their mouth, and and I honestly, to my shame, I don't know if either one of them are born again Christians. I would like to think that they were, just be just because of their personality and what and and who they were. But they were beautiful people because of what was in their heart and what came out, what oozed out of them. So, not only do our, does our smile increase our face value, well, it has to do with the mouth, huh? Our lips. Our lips. What comes out of our mouth can increase our face value. It can make us beautiful or it can make us ugly. By what we say. Again, what's in the heart is what's going to come out. What's in the heart is what drives us. The song, the song that is the first thing out of our mouth will drive our life and determine what kind of attitude we have. I had a commander at ROTC of Michigan Tech. His favorite saying was, your altitude, or your attitude, there we go, your attitude, of course, being in the Air Force, it made sense. Your attitude affects your altitude. How, how high above the fray and how high above the garbage are you going to get? Are you going to wallow in it? Or are you going to fly above it? So our attitude affects our altitude. But where do we get our attitude from? What's in our heart? What's in our heart? And God wants us to be cheerful he wants us to be joyful in our giving, in our giving of our time, in our giving back to him what is already his, of being good stewards. As we continue on in verse 44 there, uh, we, we, we keep making the distinction that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But here we talk about... Um, They gathered in the fields of the cities and the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. God required them to give certain things. 
He provided for them to give. If he doesn't provide us anything, we don't have anything to give him, do we? But he provides. He takes care of us. He meets our needs so that we can take care of our responsibility, our obligation. Remember in chapter 10, again, we had the, we talked about the Declaration of Independence and the 56 men that signed their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honors. Well, in, in chapter 10, we had the 84 Jews that signed the covenant, and they committed in that covenant that they would fulfill their responsibility and obligation of the tithe and the support, the, the, the temple tax, the wood, the first fruits, and the tithe, that they committed to giving that to God. They said, we will do this. We will provide. As God provides for us, we will provide for the temple and what needs to go there. So it was, it was a required portion. At the end of verse um, 44 there, it says, For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who served. Why? For they performed the worship of their God in the service of purification together with the singers, gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon, the, the, the people of Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites. They were well pleased with those that were serving. Remember, look back at chapter, same chapter, but back to verse 30. Before, before they, the choirs marched around on the top of the walls, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. We talked about before we can serve the Lord, we need to have a pure heart. We need to be, not, not that we'll ever reach sinless perfection until we get to heaven, but we need to have pure hearts. They need to be cleansed. We need to confess our sins. We need to be clean before we can serve. And so the priests on that day, before the dedication of the wall, purified the people themselves, the wall and the gates. But the people of Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who served because they were faithfully serving. This is, this is one of my all-time favorites, and I, I pray that I live up to it. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. They were faithful in their duties. They were faithful in their responsibilities. And that's why the people of Judah and Jerusalem could be rejoicing over them, could be thankful for them, because they performed their worship with service of their God in the service of purification along with the others. Now we get a, in the next couple of verses, we get a little bit of frame reference, of, of time reference here. Talking about David and his son Solomon, and then in verse 47 it talks about the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. For in the days of David and Asaph, verse 46, for in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise, Hymns of thanksgiving to God. Flip back just a page to uh, chapter 11, verse 17. Again, one of the unforgettable forgettables. 
and Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the leader of beginning the thanksgiving at prayer. He was the fellow that was on his knees. He's the prayer warrior. But you see the, the family line there? Asaph was his great-grandfather. So if we come back to verse 46 of chapter 12, it says, For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, I just find that phrase kind of funny there, because they're referring to ancient times being all the way back to his great-grandfather. How many of you knew your great-grandparents had, had that privilege? Yeah. I know my great-grandfather was alive. My dad's side was alive when I was born, but I, he passed before I was old enough to remember. But I do remember my great-grandma. Yeah, she seemed ancient. As a little guy, she, she was ancient. But just kind of a funny time frame reference there in ancient times, and it was only back to his great-grandfather. We won't take the time to turn there, but First Chronicles 24, we mentioned it last week. Talks, talks of, uh, well, if you go 24, 25, and 26, those three chapters in First Chronicles, you, you, there's a bunch of lists of names. You'll see that we talked about the, the priests were divided into 24 groups so that they each served half a month in the year. And there were the gatekeepers were divided into 24 groups, and the singers were divided into 24 groups. And what do we say about those lists of names? And what we said about the list of names in Nehemiah is that it's, it's, it's verification of their right to, to be in the lineage, to be a priest or to be a Levite. And if, if your name wasn't there and you couldn't prove that you were a priest or a Levite, you were out. What was it? Back a couple chapters. Chapter 7, verses 61 to 65 talked about if you didn't have the paperwork, if you didn't have your AKA pedigree that, that you were purebred, you were out. You had to be able to verify it, and that's what these lists did. It showed that they were authorized, they were verified, they were documented to be able to do the job and, and to be a part of the lineage. And without that documentation, you're out. Again, the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, and I were talking right now, that the people gave, verse 47, chapter 12, verse 47, Nehemiah gave the portions due to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required, and they set aside the consecrated portion for the Levites, and the Levites set, a, a, sorry, set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. Remember? That when the when the temp or when the the tithe was brought in, the first ten percent was brought in. That was for the Levites to meet their needs. But then before they took anything, ten percent of that went to the priests. And all this does is verify that they're doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. They were being obedient to the instruction in God's word. Very simply, they were just doing it by the book. They were doing the right thing. Hudson Taylor has said, did say, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. 
We talk about the estimate for this building, and it seems like a lot of money. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. If God does not supply what we need to build that, we will not build it. Is is anybody in agreement with me on that? If God does not supply, we will not build it. But if it is his will, that that is his work, to be done in his way for his glory, then he will provide. That's all there is to it. We'll, we'll have more discussion on that come our business meeting in a few weeks. You're going to hear that a lot. Pretty soon I'll probably even have it memorized if I look at it right. When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. We need to embrace this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. People, people in the community, as we were tearing it down last summer, oh, a year ago today, I was in the hospital. I wasn't here. I'm glad I'm here this year. <laughs> people would go by and they were asking us, well, when are you going to start rebuilding? And I think that it would just be a huge testimony to God's work for the community to see us, even if it's just that part to start with, to rebuild that, to know that God is not dead. His work in First Baptist Church in Newberry is not dead. His work is going forward. Because when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack God's support. <laughs> I know, I love this verse. I don't know the reference, but I know it's in the bottom left-hand corner of my page in Nehemiah, so it doesn't take too long to find it. I've shared this in the last couple of weeks. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elu, in 52 days. And it came about when all of our enemies heard it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. Not even one amen. Come on, guys. This is God's word. This isn't me speaking. This is God's word. All the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. It will not be us doing the work. If that work is done, God's name will be glorified in this community and people will realize that God is doing the work. Because if he's not, it won't be done. Chapter 13. On that day, what day are they talking about? I gotcha. I gotcha. It was not on the day of the day, the same day as the dedication. Don't ask me why. Okay, verse 44. On that day, that day is referring to the day of the dedication of the wall. Beginning of chapter 13. On that day, does not refer to the day they did the dedication of the wall. I don't know a lick of Hebrew. 
So I have to take the word of the commentaries, these, these guys that know Hebrew that are a whole lot smarter than I am. But they say, and, and it's poorly translated here, is what they say. Because the Hebrew structure of the beginning of chapter 13 on that day indicates that it was quite a while later. Could have been a year later. Could have been several years later. Okay? But we know that that wall was done in 52 days. But we also know that when Nehemiah was there for 12 years as governor, he took a leave of absence and went back to, to Babylon. And we'll, we'll see that in the, as we continue on through chapter 13. Don't ask me why. It's Like I say, I don't know the Hebrew and I'm taking their word for it. But they're saying that on that day at the beginning of chapter 13 is very different. And it's a long, long period of time. So it's after the celebration and the dedication of the wall has subsided, when, when, you know, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar, it, it wasn't that day. Sometime later, the first three verses. On that day, they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it came about that when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. I was going to give you a history lesson and go back to Abram's dad and his brother and Lot and and how Lot fell into his sin. And through Lot's sin of leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, two of his daughters got him drunk and slept with him and became pregnant and their, their sons were the fathers of the Moabite and the Ammonite tribes. So what that sin leads to generation down to generation, and and to this day, those those people are a thorn in the side to the Jews in Israel, in Palestine. And it's funny because they're they're kind of it's kind of like the Samaritans, they're half breeds. They they've got some Jewish blood in them. That's what's amazing that they're always at each other's throat. But that's what sin does. That's what sin does. And, and the reason, um, let me, I'm going to give you some, for those that want to dig deeper, I'm going to give you some references to, to go home and read. Um, well, if you want to look at the, the history of, of Abram and Lot and how that all came down, just jot these down. Genesis 11.26. All these references right here are in Genesis. Genesis eleven twenty six, twelve one through four, thirteen ten and eleven, and nineteen thirty. And if you want to read about Balaam, remember the guy with the donkey that talked to him. It was funny as he didn't even think that was strange. I think it was mighty strange. I think you know I was on Mr. Mr. Ed or what was that show? I don't even remember now. I was too little. The Talking Horse. I don't know, Mr. Ed. And uh, my donkey started talking to me. I think twice or wonder how much I had too much pizza last night or something. Um, turn, uh, but. If you want that story, Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Oh, Balak 
repeatedly asked Balaam to, to curse Israel, and Balaam said, all that can come out of my mouth is what God puts in there. And every time he blessed Israel instead of cursing them. Deuteronomy 23. I know it's in here somewhere. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came up out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. They were to be separate from the world. This was not an issue of race. This was not an issue of ethnicity. It was an issue of serving the one true God. I want to tell you of a, 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 a Moabite who was allowed into the nation of Israel. Her name was Ruth. And she ended up marrying Boaz and was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. How could that be? How could that be? Because right, we just read in Deuteronomy that they were to have nothing to do with the Moabites or the Ammonites. And in in verse chapter 13, 1 through 3 here, they're, they're, they're obeying that. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're excluding them. They're not letting them in to be part of the fellowship. Well, what's up with Ruth? What's that? She's a female. Okay, but how? How? It wasn't because she was a woman. The reason Ruth was accepted. Remember, she told her mother-in-law Naomi when Naomi was leaving Ruth's land to go back to Israel. Naomi said, stay here. I have nothing for you. Even if I were to have more sons, you you wouldn't want to wait until they were old enough for you to marry them. Stay here. And Ruth says, no, I am going with you. Your God will be my God. It's about the heart. Ruth did not bring her idols with her. As a Moabite, she, Ruth shouldn't have allowed her to come back with her, technically. But because her heart was right with God, her heart, she said, Naomi, your God will be my God. I am turning my back on these other false gods. I am turning my back on these idols. They are not my God. Your God will be my God. That is why Boaz could marry her. So, the, the idea that, you know, people will try to say, well, look how racist the Bible is. No. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with race. Has nothing to do with ethnicity. 
who your relatives or relationships are or aren't. It has to do with the song that's in your heart. It has to do with who is God, who is Lord, who is on the throne. Hmm. Warren Rearsby tells the story of a youth pastor in a church. He didn't know him directly, but a friend of his did, was in that church. The youth pastor taught the kids the word of God. The youth group was exploding. It was growing. The kids would come for prayer meeting, for the youth prayer meeting. They would study God's word. They would memorize it. They were telling their friends at school and bringing them in. Satan got wind of this and really didn't appreciate it, so he got involved. The elder board called the youth pastor in. And he said, they said to him, outline, this is a true story. Just sickens your heart. The elder board called him, called the youth pastor and he said, what is your plan to reach the carnal youth of this church? The youth pastor was too honest. He says, I don't have any ministry or plans targeting the carnal teens of this church. He said, we're praying for them. We invite them to come into the Bible study and the prayer meetings. Our arms are open to them to welcome them. And the elder board said, you're fired. If you don't have a plan to cater to the carnal kids in our youth group, you're done. You're out of here. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, God, pray it never be so here. When they compromised, they compromised the the standard of their church because he wasn't catering to a certain group of carnal kids. Really? Horn Wearsby said that he had the... the, uh, director of a a series of Christian radio stations call him one time and says you really need to back off preaching about Sodom and Gomorrah like you are he says because if you keep preaching like that we're going to drop you from our from our broadcast list what are you kidding me you call yourself a Christian radio network And you won't air somebody who's preaching the word of God? It was not about who they were. It was about their hearts. And because Ruth said, your God will be my God, Boaz could marry her. And she would end up in the the lineage of Jesus Christ. Just like Rahab the harlot. She wound up in the lineage because she was obedient and she served the Jews through through hiding the spies. And she was and her family were saved through that. It's about the heart. It's not about what's the outside appearance. It's not about looking like a cool cat or being in with today's 
New Age whatever happens to be the mode of the moment. It's a matter of sticking to God's word and sticking to the truth and only the truth. No compromise. Stand firm. Because if we don't have it, and how many churches, oh my goodness, I heard a pastor of some mega church in Tennessee, we heard this at the, at the No Regrets Conference in February this year, but there's a pastor of a large mega church, I don't know, 15,000 people or something like that, I believe in Nashville, that says, this is not the inspired word of God. Yeah. So what? What? You're kidding me. What do you got if you don't got the word of God? This is what we stand on. This is what makes us firm. This is what teaches us of God and his forgiveness. We've got to stand firm. And folks, it's going to get tougher and tougher in the days to come to stand firm. Are you practicing with the fire extinguisher? Practice, practice. What are you going to do if, if 10 guys walked in with machine guns right now and said, if you're not a Christian, get out of here because we're going to kill all the Christians? How many of you would stay? How many of you are practicing that? And someone took that to a whole new level for me. They said, we're not going to kill you, but we're going to kill your wife and grandkids. What do you do then? You stand firm. You stand firm on the Word of God. Because He's got it. Nothing is going to happen that doesn't come through Him. Nothing is going to happen to you or to us here that God doesn't allow. And He will allow it for His glory, for His name's sake. Not ours. For His name's sake. Are you kidding me, Pastor? You'd let them stand there and kill your wife and grandkids? I'm not going to turn my back on God. Sorry. That's all the more motivation to pray for my wife and grandkids and make sure they're saved. That they know the truth of Jesus Christ. Are you practicing? What does it mean to stand firm? Are you ready to stand firm? That youth pastor did, and he paid the price. Warren Wiersbe never said if that radio group of radio stations dropped his his uh, program or not. We got to stand firm, folks. We got to we got to be buried in God's word, so that the song of our heart, when it comes out, is praise to Him from our lips. Hebrews thirteen from our lips. Is praise and service and worship to him. Let's pray. God, don't know if you'll ever ask that of us. But if you do, give us the strength. Give us the strength to stand firm. Give us the strength to stand on your word. And as we are as we are obedient, help our hearts to do it willingly and cheerfully to you, Father. Everything we have is yours. Father, this week help us to live that way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Float put together Friday at 